Welcome to the Small Hours Podcast. My name's Al Gavada. Thank you very much for joining us. It is episode number eight. We're going to be talking about a uh, couple of things. We got a featured track of the week all the way from the UK and more. Plus, the host of the Oscars has been announced and it's a familiar face. Let's kick it off with some movie news. From BoxOfficeMojo.com, Sony was very conservative with their predictions for Goosebumps before the weekend even began. Even after it brought in $600,000 from Thursday night pre-shows, they held firm, saying the children's horror was tracking for a $12 to $15 million opening. With an estimated $23.5 million opening, however, Goosebumps took the top spot, playing in 3,501 theaters. The A cinema score from opening day audiences suggests this could be looking at a solid run through the month of October, as there is little left to satisfy the family audience until the Peanuts movie arrives. That's, of course, on November 6th competing with Spectre, so there's going to be a definite movie for adults, movie for kids on that weekend. Goosebumps topped Ridley Scott's two-time box office champion The Martian by $2 million. The Matt Damon star finished its third weekend with an estimated $21.5 million as its cum has now climbed to $143.7 million. This makes Ridley Scott's third highest grossing domestic release of all time behind Gladiator with $187.7 and Hannibal with $165 million both of which The Martian is likely to top. In third place, we find the second of our four new wide releases in Steven Spielberg's Cold War thriller, Bridge of Spies. The director's fourth collaboration with star Tom Hanks fell a little bit below expectations with an estimated $15.3 million, but has rock-solid reviews and an A cinema score. It should manage a decent domestic run. We probably won't see numbers like Lincoln at $182 million or Saving Private Ryan with $216.5, but with a budget of $40 million and the notoriety of Spielberg and Hanks, it should do well over the coming weeks and it should recoup its money fairly easily. A film unlikely to do well is Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak. It kind of crashed and burned into 2,984 theaters to the tune of an estimated $12.8 million uh, opening. Day-to-day declines were immediate after it opened on Friday with $5.2 million. It scored a B-minus cinema score. Now, depending on next weekend's drop, it could find itself out of the top 10 after just one week as four new wide releases hit theaters, including such audience-stealing features as The Last Witch Hunter and Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension. We'll talk about those in just a bit. Now, Crimson Peak did add $13.4 million from 55 overseas markets, including $1 million from IMAX, but with a reported budget of $55 million and what appeared to be a hefty marketing budget, it's going to need a lot more as its worldwide cum sits at $26.2 million. To put it in perspective, The Woman in Black 2, Angel of Death, opened with $15 million earlier this year, and it had absolutely zero star power, and it finished its domestic run with $26.5 million. In other Guillermo del Toro news, he recently tweeted an interesting tweet. He said, Book of the Day, Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. And then he added, Unrelentingly dark and emotional, compulsive reading, would kill to make it on film. I believe this novel is destined to be made again. Can you imagine that? Guillermo del Toro making Pet Cemetery? Oh my goodness. I mean, I, I like the first one. Uh, it's it's just creepy on its own. And it has so many uh, iconic moments, especially the kid walking around with a scalpel. I mean, come on. Anyway, but uh, will we see Guillermo del Toro do this? I don't know. There's another version of Pet Cemetery out there, but we haven't heard much about it since like last June. 
The last of the weekend's new wide releases was the faith-based sports drama Woodlawn, which brought in an estimated $4.1 million from a little over 1,500 theaters, along with an A-plus cinema score. This weekend also saw the release of several limited releases. Most impressive among them was A24's Oscar hopeful Room, which opened in four theaters in New York and L.A. with an estimated $120,000. That's a solid $30,000 per theater average, and with it comes an A cinema score. Many Oscar predictors are pegging star Brie Larson as a lock for a Best Actress nomination, and a good box office run will absolutely help the film's profile after it took home the Audience Award at the Toronto Film Festival. Looking at the top 10 this weekend, again, Goosebumps number 1 with 23.5, The Martian at number 2 with 21.5, Bridge of Spies at number 3 with a little over 15 million, Crimson Peak at number 4 with 12.8, Hotel Transylvania still in the top 5 after 4 weeks and still bringing in $12.2 million. Pan in at number six. The Intern at number seven, also in its fourth week. Sicario in week five. Of course, I think that's including the limited release. Uh, coming in at number eight with $4.5 million. Woodlawn, like I mentioned, at number nine with four point one. And wrapping up the top ten, Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials, with $2,750,000 this past week. And also in its fifth week. Not bad. I mean, it had a $61 million budget. It's already over $75 million domestically. Opening this weekend, Steve Jobs is expanding nationwide. It is rated R, has a decent metascore of 81 out of 100, running in at about 122 minutes. It's set backstage at three iconic product launches and ends in 1998 with the unveiling of the iMac. The movie takes us behind the scenes of the digital revolution to paint a portrait of the man at its epicenter. It's directed by Danny Boyle, starring Michael Fassbender in the lead role. Also has Kate Winslet, Seth Rogen, and Jeff Daniels. I don't know, a collaboration between Danny Boyle, Aaron Sorkin, and Michael Fassbender is worthy of all the advanced attention that it has received since its release, there's been some controversy surrounding it, so I imagine those are going to be sticking around as the Oscar buzz builds. Also coming out, Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension. Uh, this one's a short film, 88 minutes, rated R. Using a special camera that can see spirits, a family must protect their daughter from an evil entity with a sinister plan. Say farewell for now to the movie franchise that introduced us all to Christy Ray and Katie Marie Strider, as well as the director and producer. This final chapter promises to show us how a modern-day family can still own a VCR and it looks like Christy and Katie might pull everyone into the spirit realm. Opening this weekend as well, The Last Witch Hunter. Coming in at 106 minutes, rated PG-13. The Last Witch Hunter is all that stands between humanity and the combined forces of the most horrifying witches in history. It's directed by Breck Eisner and stars Vin Diesel. Also has uh, Elijah Wood and Olafur Darry Olafsson. If you believe the studio hype, The Last Witch Hunter is designed to become a new franchise for Vin Diesel. Which is fine by us if it delivers on its B-movie promise. Keep it schlocky, but keep it good, right? Of course, the biggest news this week, pretty much, is Star Wars The Force Awakens and the trailer that was released during Monday Night Football. Well, I'll tell you what, as soon as the trailer was over, they started selling tickets. And it's generating, quote, unprecedented ticketing demand, according to the nation's largest online ticket seller. Fandango issued the first glimpse of ticket sales data for the hugely anticipated film. Fandango's online traffic surged to seven times its typical peak levels, according to the company, and pushed advanced sales for The Force Awakens to a record-setting first day of pre-sales. 
The company said, for Star Wars, we've already sold eight times as many tickets as we did on the first day of sales for the previous record holder. That previous first day sales record holder was 2012's The Hunger Games. They continued saying, this is an extraordinary time for the industry, which experienced unprecedented ticketing demand last night. Movie theaters are continually adding new showtimes on Fandango to meet the demand. The enthusiasm for this year's most anticipated movie is out of this world, and we expect it to continue all the way to its debut on December 18th. Of course, some theaters are doing some shows at midnight, 10.30, even 7 p.m. the day before, so uh, technically December 17th, right? AMC Theaters, the second largest chain in the country with over 5,000 locations, said the film had broken its single-day advanced ticket sales record more than 10 times over. It didn't release specific figures, but said it sold out more than 1,000 shows nationwide with within 12 hours. MovieTickets.com said traffic was three times higher than at any point in its 15-year history. Advanced tickets for Star Wars The Force Awakens were already selling four times greater than for Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith over the same time span. IMAX reported specific numbers, with the large screen exhibitor saying it had sold a staggering $6.5 million in tickets across only 390 screens in North America. Several major theater chains and ticket sellers, Fandango included, crashed Monday night after tickets were made available. Another seller, the Alamo Drafthouse chain, notably became the first to issue an apology to fans for their service crashing despite months of the chain preparing for the sale. Disney releasing the film's latest trailer on Monday night doubtless helped fuel fan interest. So far, the trailer has been viewed on YouTube over 20 million times. And if you want to check out our breakdown of the Star Wars of Force Awakens trailer, you can check out the episode at thesmallhours.podbean.com. It's special episode number two. It says clearly right there, Star Wars, the Force Awakens trailer breakdown. It's a great episode. I highly recommend it. Not only do my nephew Alex and I break down the trailer, but we also talk about the official movie poster. So check that out when you have an opportunity. Again, thesmallhours.podbean.com. From EW.com, it's official comedian Chris Rock will host the 88th Annual Academy Awards. Rock confirmed the news himself Wednesday morning on Twitter with a brief message. Look who's back. Hashtag Oscars, he wrote, alongside a photo of him holding the golden statue. Rock hosted the show a decade ago when Million Dollar Baby walked away with the Best Picture Prize. His appearance on the 2005 telecast was not without its controversy. He came under fire a month before the show when he said in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, Come on, it's a fashion show. No one performs. It's not like a music show. What straight black man sits there and watches the Oscars? Show me one. Then, on the night of the telecast, he insulted actors as varied as Tobey Maguire, Jude Law, and Colin Farrell. But come on, don't some of them deserve it? <laughs> All of that seems to have been forgotten with the praise the Academy is extending to the multi-hyphenate who most recently directed Amy Schumer's HBO comedy special after writing, directing, and starring in the critically acclaimed film Top 5. It will be interesting to see if he'll be asked to tone down his trademark biting humor for the broadcast. It is scheduled for February 28th. We're hoping that won't be the case. A bit of music news from MetalInjection.net. A recent report by Dangerous Minds tries to put together just how much cocaine went up the noses of the godfathers of heavy metal, Black Sabbath, and the answer is a lot. In fact, about $75,000 worth. The revelation came from bassist Geezer Butler himself, who stated that the band had a budget of $60,000 for the album they were recording, but spent about $75,000 on cocaine. They'd have the coke flown in by private plane, Quaaludes and other drugs were also prevalent. At a certain point, Ozzy had no idea where it was coming from. As a matter of fact, even in his autobiography, I Am Ozzy, he's like, Eventually, we started to wonder where the F all the coke was coming from. I'm telling you, that coke was the whitest, purest, strongest stuff we could ever imagine. One stiff and you're the king of the universe. 
The band wanted to name the album Snowblind, but decided not to after pressure from the label. Of course, the band dabbled in many drugs during that time period. Butler recalled a tale of being high on coke and then somebody dropped some acid in his drink, which led him to contemplate jumping out of a window and killing himself. Luckily, Tony Iommi and drummer Bill Ward physically held him down to prevent that. That was the last straw for Geezer, who soon after gave up drugs. In fact, the whole band started cutting down, except for one of them, Ozzy. Butler said, you can't write or play songs if you're out of your brains, but since Ozzy didn't have to play an instrument while we were writing, he'd be in the bar getting legless or doing all kinds of things. The latter included relentless pleasure-seeking leading to blackouts. I don't believe it. I don't believe it when they... Ozzy said, I don't believe it when they said I had blackouts. I'd look at my watch and I would say... All right, I can't do it. Uh, Ozzy said, I don't... (laughs) I didn't believe it when they said I had blackouts. I'd look at my watch and it would say 4 o'clock. Then I'd look at it again and it would say 9.30. I'd totally forget where I'd been or what I'd done. But then you don't think about that before you start drinking. You don't think, I wonder what jail I'll wake up in tomorrow. Because that's not your intention. By the way, with inflation in today's money, those $75,000, Black Sabbath spent about... $426,934 on cocaine to record Volume 4. Listen to the album and you tell us if it was worth it. Some might say yes. Metal ahead. Please exit now to avoid getting caught in the awesome. All right, there you go. That's your cue. If you came in to listen to some entertainment news, that's your off-ramp. Right now we're moving along to the featured track of the week. This week, we are featuring Glass Bullet. Glass Bullet are a four-piece hard rock band from the West Midlands in the UK. Inspired by the likes of Blackstone Cherry, Soundgarden, and Black Label Society, Glass Bullet have created their own huge, unique sound. Glass Bullet formed in September 2011 and recorded their debut EP, Misguided, in 2012. After lineup change during the summer of 2013 to introduce their new drummer Alex, Glass Bullet focused on releasing their follow-up EP to Misguided named Black Eyes. Glass Bullet consists of Alex Caldicott on drums, Tom Bushel on bass, Lewis Ward on vocals and guitar. By the way, you know the aforementioned Bill Ward from Black Sabbath? Yeah, that's his uncle. And last but not least, Ben Evans on lead guitar. You can check him out on Facebook.com slash GlassBulletUK. Same thing on YouTube, GlassBulletUK. And hey, if you're going to be in Telford on the 30th of October, Glass Bullet's going to be playing an awesome show with Resin and Stone Broken. And by the way, if you're local, they'd love to have you out there. It's their first time playing at the Haygate. Doors open at 7.30. Anyway, here's this week's featured track of the week. It's Glass Bullet with Shot in the Dark. Hello, this is Lewis from Glass Bullet. You are listening to this week's featured track on the Small Hours Podcast with Al Guevara.
There you go. That's Shot in the Dark by Glass Bullet. Again, you can find him on Facebook, Glass Bullet UK. Also on YouTube, Glass Bullet UK. All together, no spaces, no underlines, nothing like that. want to thank the guys for providing the track for us to feature here on the Small Hours Podcast. By the way, if you're a band that wants to be considered to be a featured track of the week, email us, smallhoursemail at gmail.com. That's smallhoursemail at gmail.com. All right, I hope you had a good time listening to the episode. I had a great time putting it together. And uh, if you have a chance, check out some of our other episodes at thesmallhours.podbean.com. That is thesmallhours.podbean.com. You can also find us on iTunes. Look for The Small Hours with Al Gavada. Uh, I don't know if it's either under The Small Hours with Al Gavada or The Small Hours Podcast with Al Gavada. Do a search for both and one of us. One of them is bound to pop up. That'll do it for this week. Episode number eight is wrapped. We'll catch you next week. You've been listening to the Small Hours Podcast with Al Gavada. I'm Al Gavada. We'll catch you next time.